Welcome to On The Mic Podcast. This is your host, Tim Drake. On today's episode, we have writer and director, Ronaldo Marcus Green. Ronaldo's debut feature film, Monsters and Men, hits theaters today. Make sure to get out and see this film. It is an incredible film uh, that centers around police brutality and the conversation throughout the country, uh, looking at the topic through several different people's perspectives. So it's a really fascinating film starring John David Washington, who you've recently seen, and Spike Lee's The Black Klansman. Uh, it, it's really just so incredible to hear about this story and how, and, and what inspired Ronaldo to be able to make this film. Uh, Austin was able to get this interview set up uh, when he reached out to Ronaldo and, and you know, told him that you know, we'd really like to talk to him as he was coming to Los Angeles just for 48 hours. We had such a short window being able to get him in here. Uh, Austin got to know Ronaldo at the Sundance Labs last year when he actually had the chance to work on Monsters and Men. So the Sundance Labs gives writers and directors an opportunity to take films that they're working on and take scripts that they're working on and be able to have actors come in and, and, and work out those scenes to be able to help them improve the scenes or find things that they might be lacking uh, to be able to get their film done. So Austin had the chance to work alongside John David Washington during this and, you know, be, be able to help kind of guide this film to the direction they wanted it to be. So Austin sent Ronaldo a text. He gave us all the info and everybody over at Neon IDPR were a huge help being able to get this set up in such short notice. Uh, we sat down with Ronaldo over at the Landmark at the, uh, at the beautiful... Uh, Cinemark Lounge that they have over there. So it was really cool, uh, nicely tucked away in Beverly Hills. And uh, being able to talk with him, it's a little bit shorter of an episode because we had very limited time. He did have a Q&A he had to get to uh, during the Los Angeles. We were at the Los Angeles premiere for this. And so this was while the film was screening, Ronaldo was sitting down talking with us. Uh, so we were really glad that we were able to get this in. It was really cool hearing Austin kind of talk with him about the experience at the Sundance Labs um, and some of the things that both of them learned throughout that time. So Ronaldo's got a lot of great stuff coming up as well. He recently directed uh, three episodes of an upcoming Netflix show that he talks about here and does have some other projects in the works. So make sure you check that out. Follow him on all the social media sites that we will have listed on the website. You're, you're going to want to be able to keep track of him because he's got a lot of great stuff coming. Uh, so make sure you check out Monsters and Men. It's going to be playing in a theater near you. If it's not, you know, ask the theaters near you to bring it to them. If it is playing near you, get out there and see it. While it is a nationwide release, it still is a limited release. So it's in only select theaters throughout the country. So make sure to get that, get out there, see it. Show, show the other theaters that are in your area that why a film like this is important and it needs to have you know, as wide of a release as possible. Uh, it's really great to be able to support indie films like this and, and help incredible directors and actors and filmmakers be able to have their story told and be able to have their art seen. So please get out and see Monsters and Men this weekend or, you know, at least within the near future. But hey, opening weekend box office numbers are always a huge thing. So if you can get out there this weekend and see it, do it. You'll be happy. Uh, make sure you stay tuned to On The Mic Podcast. Halloween's, you know, a month away pretty much. So as October starts next week, Austin and I promised we would have double episodes this month. So we'll have our regular interviews with guests, but then we're also going to be doing special episodes from locations throughout Los Angeles that are known to be haunted. Yeah, who knows if any of that stuff is real, but hey, we have fun checking it out and hearing the stories and the legends behind it. Uh, so, you know, stay tuned for that. If you're following us on Instagram at On The Mic Podcast, Every single day in October, we're going to have a special location that will give you just a brief little history of what makes it haunted, creepy, terrifying, you name it. So we, we have one for every single day. So 31 days of horror haunts and everything Halloween that you can imagine. We love Halloween and we love horror movies and all of that. So make sure you're following us on Instagram so you can check out all of that. We'll also be tweeting it out so you can see that as well on the like podcast on Twitter as well. 
Again, thank you to Ronaldo Marcus Green for taking the time to sit down with us. Uh, shortly before he recorded this with us, he was over with Mark Marin on WTF. So you can also look for that episode uh, coming out next week, I believe. Uh, I would assume it's coming out pretty quickly since the movie's just out. Mark usually tries to time it up with people's releases. Uh, I, you know I love WTF. And yeah, it was, it, was, it was cool to see us kind of coincide with something uh, with WTF as well. So make sure you check out that, that as well. Support Ronaldo Marcus Green and all the incredible actors and filmmakers that are part of Monsters and Men. Again, get out and see this film as soon as you can. Support independent film, support great filmmakers. Thank you again, Ronaldo. It was such a pleasure to have you on the show, especially with such short notice. We really appreciate you making the time for us. Enjoy this episode. We'll see you next week. Yeah, a lot of people I heard they don't even they don't even I've driven a handful of people who don't even have a car. They just they just Uber everywhere, Uber everywhere. you know? You don't because I mean, when I mean, you figure the amount of money that goes into like a car payment, that insurance and all that yeah. stuff like that's 400 bucks a month that you know, you just go take rides just everywhere. Take so rides, yeah. I had figured if I wasn't driving Uber, I would I would honestly just just do that just, everywhere. Yeah, just take an Uber everywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just the amount of my car payment and my insurance is less than I would spend Absolutely. Ubering. Because yeah. I walk to the gym. doesn't show, but I walk <laughs> to the gym. <laughs> so, and, I mean, I walk pretty much everywhere else. Yeah, everywhere and then I else, take, right? I take an Uber shop, here. You get your gym. You get everything in, like, one central area and then try to locate your meetings somewhere. Yeah. I envy that of New York. I mean, I've, this is coming from someone who's never even been. But <laughs> that you can just, once you're in your spot, like... You, everything's just a walk. You just, You're yeah, walking you or bussing or subway. <laughs> Everybody just takes the subway. In New York. Pe- people shit on the subway so much, but n- and not pun intended. But <laughs> <laughs> not a little. But, but it's uh, it, it works very efficiently. Yeah, great. Even even when it's broken down, it works. It works very it works. efficiently. It works. And so then it's a bike culture too. So people just bike everywhere yeah. in New York. Um, yeah, I, uh, there, there's so many things I miss about spending time in New York, yeah. but then I'm just like, but it snows and <laughs> it does. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, it's it's a good time to get out now. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is that's about to get it's about to get real cold. You real, have your real, uh, little vacation home somewhere else. And yeah, you yeah, Spend the winter riding there. Yeah, yeah. But it's hard when you're from New York to to leave and you know, especially you know when your art is there and your stories are there. Kind of right. get you yeah. Know, it's, just, it's just tough. It's tough. It's tough to be anywhere else. Yeah. Were you born? You were born and raised in New York. Born and raised in New York. Yeah. yeah. Born in the Bronx. Grew up in Staten Island, New York. Uh, now live in Brooklyn, and I'm a Mets fan, so I cover all, basically all the boroughs. <laughs> <laughs> and Brooklyn, Brooklyn's really been popping the last few years. Oh, I mean, it's crazy. It's every, every time I've gone back there, I'm just like, it's like a whole new city. No, again. <laughs> I'm priced out of my own. Like we gentrified to move in, and now I'm gentrified out. It's crazy. It's like, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, it's it's outrageous. Like. I feel guilty, like whenever I have to sublet my place, I'm like, I can't charge this much, right? But and I know I'm like, <laughs> I'm like yeah. undervaluing our place, like we're, you know, we're we're, it's just tough. It's it's um, it's so expensive to be anywhere. And the thing is, it's not even like you're you're in like the prime area, you know. Yeah. I'm in Crown Heights. People used to get shot and killed, and, there, and there now was, you're like a you'll spend about it. <laughs> you know a couple grand a month to live out there. It just yeah. doesn't make any sense. Did, did you see the uh, movie Crown Heights? That I did. Came yeah, out? yeah. That was Matt, a phenomenal. Matt Ruskin. Movie. Yeah. I, I sent that to you a couple of years ago at Sundance. Did it was uh, Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah, it was. Lakeith. Yeah, yeah, Lakeith. Was there? It, yeah, it was gr- a great role for him. And um, you know, I was a little skeptical of the film just because, you know, 
I was just a little skeptical, you know. Yeah. It's called Crown Heights, you know. Um, and then when I saw it, I, I thought he did a really good job uh, with the film, with the role, um, you know, for a film that could have been, you know, could have gone a lot of different ways. I thought they handled it really well. Yeah, and so. Lakeith is so such a fun actor, too, yeah. and seeing him take on a, a more solemn role like that, too, was I was like, all right, I'm I'm into this. Yeah, you're into it. Yeah, yeah. And like, even in he had a great role in Selma. His his role there, and it was just like, whoa. He like yeah. stole like a very small, but like stole that scene, and really just yeah, he's an incredible actor. And obviously now it's hard to bother you and everything he's doing yeah. with Atlanta. And with Atlanta, and, yeah. But I mean, I, the very first thing I saw him in was a short film by Destin Cretton. Yeah, short term twelve. And short film twelve, short term twelve, yeah. and I was like, whoa. <laughs> that was when I first. My acting teacher is in. He's in short term twelve. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was when I first met Lakeith. I was at the Academy screening for it, uh, and I was. I've never been so out of place in my life. Yeah. I was brand new to LA when I had first moved here, and had just been invited with somebody I knew at the Academy. And they're like, yeah, just come, come to the screening. You know, we'll we'll introduce you to people. And it was like young Brie Larson, and like yeah. the yeah, only Remy picture, Malik. yeah, the only picture that I, that exists of me at this screening is my fat ass photo bombing Brie Larson while she's grabbing food, and then there's just this double wide human in back of her <laughs> that's like, I'm like three Brie Larson. You sent me the picture. picture. <laughs> Weren't you like kind of creepily, like awkward, like? Looking over your shoulder or something I wasn't like even that, looking or? over my shoulder. I just looked like this bulb's blue well behind her. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's me, and there's my bald spot. That's, uh, that's great. That's <laughs> so funny. Um, well, for anybody who's, uh, who's listening, I met Ray at the Sundance Labs uh, in Park City in Utah where uh, Monsters and Men was being worked. And um, how long before Sundance Labs did you start uh, writing or the, the conception of the idea how long has this thing been in uh, Well, in the, the long works? and short story is I went to Sundance with a short film called Stop in 2015. It was a nine-minute short film, and it basically deals with stop and frisk in New York. It's a young African-American kid walking home from practice and gets stopped by the police on his way home. In that short, I cast a friend of mine who is a New York City police officer. Fast forward, we get into Sundance with this short that I made for 500 bucks. It was part of NYU, you know, blah, blah, yeah. blah. We get there. My friend who's a cop is celebrating with us. We're, we're at the festival, and he's, he's rooming with us. We're lodging together. So I'm ro- lodging with a real cop. He's yeah. on the NYPD and an aspiring actor. We start talking about the Eric Garner case in Staten Island because we're both from Staten Island. Mm-hmm. I used to deliver pizza in that neighborhood. And one thing led to another. We, what started off as a regular conversation ended in a pretty heated debate. And my friend and I just saw two totally different things on this one viral video. And I couldn't see it any other way. I, you know, I just I saw a guy that should be alive and he just saw it a little different. He was like, Ray, it's unfortunate that he's dead, but he was resisting arrest. And we just got into this. You went down the rabbit hole of like, what's resisting? You know, how far can you yeah. take it? Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, that conversation sat with me for six months. You know, it just didn't go away. Mm-hmm. And it was a pa- probably one of the most power- powerful conversations I've had in my adult life. And, um, you know. And I just said, you know, this is interesting. This is what my short film didn't have was perspective. I'd, I only had nine minutes to explore one character. Um, and I thought, well, if I were to explore this idea in a feature, how can I expand it? How can I make it sustainable for 90 minutes? And I thought perspective is that way. And I started thinking about a triptych. And yeah. so I had two of the chapters. I had the police chapter, yeah. so I thought. And, and I had, you know, at least a kid from my... From my um, you know, from my short film. Oh, really? So the, the, the police officer role, that was the, the third? That, that, beca- that was originally the third when I first started writing the script. 
And that's the role that John David Washington that's plays. That's the role yeah, that John David. Yeah. And so, so, yeah, so six months later after – so summer of 2015 is when I started writing uh, the first draft of Monsters and Men. Um, and then that, you know, took me basically until 2017 when I met you uh, at the lab. Um, yeah. Is when, you know, it was a fully formed script at that point. Has it changed much since, since from shooting to the labs? Abs- yeah, a lot, a lot. And oh, I really? think it's just because the world changed in that time. Mm. And so it yeah. just kept informing sort of the script. And, oh, you know, you know what started off, you know, it just, it just kept informing the script and, you know, language and, and you know, uh, what, what we could see, you know, and, and what we should see and those kinds of things. Uh, the structure changed, you know. Uh, you know, again, the, the police officer role was supposed to be like the third chapter of the film. So things kind of moved uh, around and got yeah. shuffled and lots of lots of iterations. Uh, at one point, there were five chapters, not three. You know, I was thinking oh, wow. even going more like more in the babble route. But um, yeah, it just kept, kind of kept coming down. There was a Khalif Browder story that I was somehow trying to figure out. Maybe there's something I can do in there. And then but then there were like five other things about Khalif Browder that came out. And I was like, well, I'm not going to you know, I'm going into traffic. You know, people are already doing things about that. Mm-hmm. And. And then, you know, you have um, wrongful imprisonment. So many things came out around that. Although that's a topic that was important to me. It was like, it's already being explored. They right. got there first. Yeah. And so kind of what Crown Heights was even about, too. Yeah. yeah. And so I just thought, I thought this particular thing was something that felt familiar to people, that they would think they knew what it was about, and then they would be hopefully pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. that it's not exactly what they thought it was. And they, it revealed something new about a situation mm-hmm. they thought they knew so well. Yeah, it, it, it kind of took me by surprise, even just kind of watching some of the trailers. And then I saw uh, John on The Tonight Show uh, last week and then saw saw the clip that they had played. And I was like, oh, this is different than what I thought. And then I started reading up more and I was like, okay, I like that this is mm-hmm. interweaving between the different perspectives that people are seeing in such a heated topic. Yeah. And so that, that conversation is... is was the one that I had with my police officer friend. It, it was it was so uncomfortable to be honest with you. It was like, it was the, you know I I've been in conversations like that never about you know they always say don't talk about politics and those kind of <laughs> things. But of course those are the things you talk about right. Of and so what you're passionate about. But you know it becomes you know you start talking about topics like this it becomes sort of like Mets versus the Yankees. This is like human lives we're talking right. about. Yeah, like yeah. We're not, it's easy to. It's not teams. You know, this is not <laughs> like you know. Oh, okay, you don't like the Mets. Like, okay, yeah. you know. But like, you know, like we could still go to the game and like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like we have to move past the whole like us versus them thing, and so I, you know, I was trying to figure out a way to do that. You know, like how do, how can we have adult conversations? We don't really do that anymore. You know, we just totally. If someone disagrees with you, you unfollow them. You <laughs> you just you just we're not you know? friends. Yeah, yeah. Or you're just not friends anymore, and it's like. That's never been my behavior. It's never been. I've always like tried to do the Obama, like reach across the aisle. Right. Like, yeah. So what? He doesn't like me. Yeah. But like, I, how can I find some form of common ground? It's just sure. maybe it's part of my personality. Oh, maybe it was the if way only I was more raised. People thought that way. You know, where it's like I going into a conversation knowing the other person's opposing you. And it's not a matter of I'm going to beat you or win this argument or whatever. But let's find a, a common ground and let's find an understanding and, and hear each other and and you know all that rather than it being so combative you know yeah it's it's tough though i mean don't get me wrong sometimes yeah. when you hear things you don't want to hear it's like you know what i don't know if i'm ever going to get through to them sure you know we also have a history of like you know we have a legacy of racism in this country i mean we, we were founded right. on yeah, slavery founded you know, on yeah, yeah. so it's like 
you know, at the end of the day, we have some real deep roots we're, we're yeah. working through, you mm-hmm. know, but you have to try to find people that are at least yeah. willing to, you know. One thing that really stuck out to me um, about, like, when we were working at the labs is how, because I, I was playing a, a police officer, um, one of the police officers. I don't think he, he was at the the scene of it all, but the one that I was playing, I can't remember, um, but he's a part of the police force, and um, anyway, he becomes involved, and so... Uh, but I remember you like, when you're, because the Sundance Labs is all about, you know, trying things out, experimenting, see, just test the the boundaries of your script and see what works, what doesn't, and then that gives you some some information to go shoot. Yeah. Um, but when you're talking about like the police officer roles, it was never like, all right, so you're just like this dirty piece of shit. You know, it was yeah. it was more like, uh, talk to talk to him and uh, let's try and like try and prove him that that you're right. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Or whatever, and I remember we were just like improvising at the table, and uh, JD and I, and yeah, it was, it was it was pretty funny. Actually, the conversation became kind of funny somehow <laughs> in the middle of all that. But I just I thought it was very like a mature choice to not like when talking about something like police brutality to make it so like pointed. But like these are men doing jobs, mm. and uh, it's almost like how Spielberg approached the Nazis and Schindler's List, mm. where it's like these are people who lived in this time and they were doing this thing and following orders and et cetera and this you know, horrific events are happening but you know it's, it's easy to to forget about the human side of even those who are in the wrong per se yeah you absolutely know? I mean it's funny we, I, I was lucky enough um, to work with a writer his name was uh, Michael Arndt uh, he wrote uh, Little Miss Sunshine yeah, yeah. And he's a great and, and, and somehow we were paired through, through Sundance like labs uh, he lives in New York. I live in New York, and you know, he, he had agreed to do sort of like one workshop, you know, as a mentor. And of course, once he gave me one, I was like, "Oh, do you mind if I, you know, send you my next <laughs> draft?" Like, you can't let me in the door. All of a sudden, you know, so I, I like forced him to remain my mentor. Um, but he, he would he, say he stuff just like did that. The new he Jim w- Carrey show, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. he's he's. I mean, he's such a prolific writer. He's he's, he's a genius, and and yeah, you know, Toy Story three and Star Wars, and you know, and and. and but he would say stuff like he would say, you know, give me your most convincing argument as to why you're right. Like he would force me to say that for for people that I was so that they wouldn't feel so flat or two dimensional. Yeah. You know, it's like if you can't just be a bad guy. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, these the reason you fall in love with these bad guys, the reason that you, it's because you believe them and they believe what they're saying. It's totally. Not, it's not, you know, and, and it's not about like overt anger all the time. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes that actually makes you feel less angry. You know, it's like. When you when I when I was working with you and you you just look at someone and you have this intense gaze and it's like you don't have to say anything. You, actually, the nicer you are, sometimes is the more menacing. Exactly. And, you know, it's kind of finding the balance between, you know, how far do you kind of push, push that when you're especially you know when you're when you're you know. Yeah. I, I, and I never necessarily looked at the police in my film as bad guys. They're just guys, you yeah, know. Exactly. Um, they're guys with a different perspective. They're guys with a different perspective. Which you know? the movie follows. It follows yeah. someone within yeah. the police force. Yeah. So when when it's come down to because because this like you said it was kind of based off of the Eric Garner um, story where that that kind of inspired this. Since making the movie, has your friend that's part of the NYPD has has the dialogue remained open and has that ch- even changed his perspective on anything with that? Yeah, absolutely. So he he's he's come back. He's an actor in my feature. Um, you know, oh, awesome. we, yeah, which is amazing. It's like that's when you it goes to show that our friendship was you know meant more than right. one sort of disagreement. You know, like I think 
he cares about me you know what i mean and and that kind of thing and and vice versa i think we were i was like listen i want to i may not agree but i want to understand i want to put myself in your shoes for 30 minutes and see what that's like you know see what that's like and we try to do that in the film you know and uh, my friend is a white police officer and i and i was afraid that if i cast a white cop in the film that it, the movie would be a black and white thing mm-hmm. somehow it would be viewed that way and so it took me a long time to say you know what i need to i think it would be interesting if it was a black cop that had that perspective because it's a it's it's more about the culture of police than just race per right. se of course race is an underlining thing and everything that we're working with and but it's really about the culture that we're trying to get to you know and like there's some deep-rooted stuff in there you know and and, and you know very much using the sports analogy it's like playing for a team you know and and you may not agree with some of your teammates but at the end of the day you play for that team and what do you do you know whose side right. are you on like where is your allegiance um you know, it's, it's tricky. It's tricky. Um, and I don't know because I'm not in that situation, but I have been on sports teams before, uh, you know, growing up in Staten Island, playing baseball around a lot of kids that were, you know, racist, to be honest with you. You know, they, they would throw racial epithets to the kids we were playing against. and be like, no, no, Ray, not you. No offense, Ray. <laughs> like, you're one of us. You know what I mean? Like, no problem. Right. But, like, those, those guys over there, they're <laughs> the N-word. And I'm like, I... I think I'm the N word too. You, you know, like <laughs> I think I'm what you're talking about. Like, but like, what am I going to do? Those are my teammates. Right? Am I going to take my jersey off? I cared more about playing baseball than what these hmm. idiots were saying. You know? Oh, they're just stupid. They're just kids. But like, are they? You know? So you know, it's just tricky. So, but I understand. You know how sometimes when you feel like you're playing for a team or you have allegiance to whether it's the army or to the police force or whatever it is that your you know your team might take precedence over some things that you might find wrong with the institution and it's an interesting dynamic too to take that i i've always been intrigued when i've seen on the news when you see like a black lives matter protest or something and then you see you know a handful of of officers that are also black and i've always thought there's no way that they're not involved with this and what the, and what the purpose behind black lives matter is but they also have a job to do they have a badge to defend and i i've always thought the the mental anguish that they have to go through during some of that especially when they're looking at their fellow officers and being like you know maybe they're, they're not this person that they're being made out to be it's a handful of people that that do this even though there is such an astounding number of unarmed black citizens throughout america that that are shot mm. i've i've just i i've felt so bad to watching those officers stand there in those mm. protests and having to take the heat back and so I, I i love that you took that dynamic to be able to kind of show coming from that angle yeah and it was i think it was in charlottesville there was that powerful photo. I don't know if you guys saw that photo of the black police officer standing there, and there were like all these, yeah. you know, f- you know, uh, right wing folks and yeah, the all back. the, the well, Nazis yeah, marching, yeah, <laughs> and it, the the nationalist fo- and it's and it was just such a powerful photo. And yeah. I, I remember like we, we we used that photo, you know, we, you know, John looked at that photo, and we just tried to, you know, it's you got it's about your family, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, you know, you you have to do the job. Right. Regardless of all that other stuff that's out there. 
You know, the, they're trained that way. They're trained to be sort of emotionless. <laughs> you can't have emotion in the job. You know? Yeah. Someone's dying. You, if you're, you know, you, you you can't have any. There's like no yeah. emotion. Yeah. You, if you're too filled with empathy, it's going it, to block your judgment. Yeah. Yeah. That, I guess then that's why they they train people that way, I so that in, the, in those moments failed the you, test to become a yeah. state trooper at one point in my <laughs> early <laughs> career. <laughs> <laughs> now, had, had John already shot Black Klansman? No, which is crazy. Thank you, Spike Lee. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Spike. Spike shot black Klansman after us and released it before uh which is just incredible because you know obviously spike is spike and and the film is wildly successful and people that don't know john david now now know him you know and if you didn't know him from ballers you'll know him from black Klansman. and now if you don't know him from either one of those you'll know him from monsters and men but like having spike kind of go first you know in, in the strangest way has been has been wonderful because yeah, um, yeah. Because the film has been well received, and uh, John, it really gave John a, a huge platform. I mean, w he went to Cannes with the film. Uh, the film has has done tremendous at the box office, and continues to to stay strong in theaters. So, yeah, I mean, it's amazing when you're Spike Lee that you can shoot a film and release a film <laughs> before in the timeline. That he <laughs> yeah. did. It's just outrageous. I was like, you know, but 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 it's great. You know, it's great. I, I would I'd be intrigued to know though for for him if the way that you set up this character for him to play, how that translated into the role. Cause I mean, he still is playing a, a cop even yeah. in black Klansman, yeah. but coming from a whole different perspective. And so I'd, I'd be fascinated to know if your role gave him like a deeper insight into some of those issues. I'm sure it did. He talked about it the other night. We were, we had a Q and a, and he did talk about how, you know, he had gone on the ride alongs and met all these police officers and, you know, sort of valued the job, at least the ones that the right ones are doing and, and how that informed both of his roles, you know, that he had done. And then he, he went down. The, the good thing about Black Klansman is he had the real-life character who's alive yeah. and well. Uh, so he had someone that he was, you know, obviously emulating in that role is, is a direct contact where in our film he's playing, you know, an amalgamation of every black cop in, in the United States. You know, it's like find the one that you feel like you can kind of ground yourself in, you know, and, and so... He pulled from several different folks to, you know, to kind of create his own his own path there. Uh, but he's special in the role. You know, he really, really, you know, for someone that like grew up in San Fernando Valley, like yeah. he could do like a valley <laughs> voice like no other. He's like, yeah, dude. It's like, yeah. And you're like, you're like John David Washington, what's going on? Um, but the fact that he could like and, and that's, uh, you know, skeptical because it's like, you know, he's got this Ricky Jarrett beard when I meet him. He's like sexy and cool and like talks like he's from california you know can he play and can he pull off a new york city police officer and then when we went to the labs when he yeah came i was to gonna labs, ask because at the, that time you you hadn't had this this casting we didn't cast him no at that yeah. point we hadn't cast him um and i was afraid i was gonna lose him because obviously he is an hbo star you know like uh -huh. is he gonna come to the three weeks of sundance and so did you call him to the to the labs i invited with, him we with, invited with him the, in mind that you might cast him or yeah absolutely oh, i was okay. I, I was i was determined to say i think he can do it I think he's gotcha. he's got something, but I hadn't seen him. You know, he he wears an earring. You know, like not to say that cops can't wear earrings, but like he's cool, he's sexy. Yeah, he's like <laughs> sometimes you gotta like yeah, I gotta, I gotta like, literally uh, throw you in the yeah, uniform so I'm I can gonna, picture you. you know, <laughs> and I'm looking at him. You know, I'm like uh, sizing him up. You know, like I, I'm nobody, <laughs> but I'm like, listen, you know, this is like, listen, I'm broke, and this is this is something I've been like grinding on. Like, I you know, I'm gonna find the right person that cares about this baby. I don't care 
who, you know, and, and he looked at me back like, bro, I want to do this. And yeah. like, he put in the time and the effort and like, you saw him at the oh, lab. Oh, dude, I, I mean, remember. He, he was, was hungry, like, man. He was, uh, he it was, was about hungry. It he day. was committed. Uh-huh. He was humble. He was like everything you could ask for in an actor. Um, mm-hmm. And then some. And, and he's also he's incredibly grateful. Like I remember times oh, yeah. like before takes, he'd be like, "It's a blessing to do what we do." You yeah, know, he's yeah, just yeah, like, but like mean it. You know, yeah. you yeah. say that, and you're like, ah, you know. I, yeah, I remember like, you texting me about <laughs> yeah. that, and you, you, I think you were like a week or so in when you sent me a text, and you're like, "So it turns out this dude is Denzel's son." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know at first. I mean, I was told, I was informed later I mean, on. There's you know? times where he's talking on the other side of the set wall, and I was like, wait, wait, I know that voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it could be scary sometimes when you hear the voice and it comes out. But it's, it's so interesting because he, was, he has been since I met him. And we, we, I don't, we might have, we, I don't think we ever really spoke dads. You know, we, we really stayed away from that stuff. You know, we really stayed away from the mm-hmm. politics of, of that. Yeah, it was so clear that he wanted to be his own man from the conversations that Mm -hmm. we were having, the way he talked about his mom and his relationship to his mom, the relationship to his grandparents. And so we didn't really I didn't really want to mess with that. You know what I mean? It's like we all know who your father is. I don't that's not why you get in a role. Yeah, he's doing a hell of a job on his own. You're grinding and and you're at the Sundance Labs working for free for three weeks. (laughs) Yeah. Like and that's that, why you got the job, you know. I mean, I've I've never met Denzel, but he strikes me as someone who probably wouldn't offer a freebie anyways. He'd probably make you earn it. No, no. I mean, I think yeah. I mean, even from watching him in Fences, I believe it. You know, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. Denzel's I'm like, wait, like, wait, were you playing he's working. character? He's working. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it's incredible to say. You know, listen. Obviously, I think we all grew up watching Denzel and yeah. being big fans, and to to know that he. But he's got. He's got several children that are super talented. He's got a he's got a son that's a, an up-and-coming director that's about to blow up. Um, he's got he's got daughters that are actors and like tremendous talents. So like, you know, John is you know John is just they come from this creative family, you know. And I think he suppressed it for a very long time. Went the football route. Didn't want to be compared. And then you know at a certain point was like you know what I think I'm just running away from myself. Yeah. You know this is actually what I was born to do. And here he is on the main stage crushing it. And uh, I couldn't be more happy and, and, and proud to have him in our film to see where his career is going to go from here. And it's only up. So uh, when this after this played at Sundance, because it's been picked up by being distributed by Neon. Was that was that a process of like other people interested or is that kind of like did that go straight away? To did you yeah, guys no, win the jury award? When, you, when right? you go to Sundance, there's like, a, you know, you can get into bidding wars or whatever. I don't know. I was, you know, on the filmmaker side, so you, I so, don't okay, know so how was deep all the conversations the, that was into the went producing with who the, was interested, sure. how low or how high the offers were. Gotcha. Neon was obviously had had a great reputation because of what they did with I, Tanya last year. They yeah. won an Oscar yeah. for I, Tanya. Uh, they were known for being a new, hungry distributor, taking sort of difficult subject matters and bringing them to the forefront and making yeah. some noise with them. So we were all like, oh, who's Neon? Who's Neon? But, you know, listen, there's, there's lots of other great distributors. So, sure. you know, whoever was going to... You also want to go with somebody that believes in your film. Sure, you know? yeah, you don't and want to, like, just for the sake of, like, for the sake somebody of, like, likes yeah, it. Yeah, they're new, <laughs> yeah. Like, you, yeah, you, maybe you get the, the really sexy distributor that doesn't really care. You're just another notch under their belt where, like, yeah, yeah. Neon has something to prove. You know, they do, and they, and, and they believe in the film. And, and you can tell, like, as a filmmaker, it's hard to, like, really gauge, like, how someone, but you see it. You see it in the marketing. You see it in the poster. You see it in the care from the trailer. You see it in how they're they're messaging the movie, yeah, and they're 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 doing it 
because they care. It's not like it doesn't feel forced. Mm. And sometimes you watch campaigns and you're like, oh, like they're trying to. Yeah, yeah they say really want to. The movie's yeah. not and like put a huge rap soundtrack on my film. And it's like, no, they're not. They're just like, listen, they're not. Oh, making it something that it's not. And I, and then, and I appreciate yeah. and value that they're respecting the art and the craft, obviously trying to reach a mainstream audience while while keeping true to the art, you know? Um, yeah. And I think they're, they're finding the balance. We'll see how we do opening weekend, but we're excited and, you know, excited of anybody to take the chance. But I couldn't have asked for a better team to, to put it forward. Yeah, I'm excited for you guys. This is so cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and, and Neon, I mean, like you said, they're, they're young and hungry. They're... I, I feel I've like never been one to follow a distributor in a small studio on Instagram, but <laughs> they're one of the know, few same. that I follow because they've caught my attention. Yeah, they've got they got they have something. They have something, and it's it's, it's uh, Tom Quinn. I think he worked. You probably know this. Where did Tom work? Was he at Magnolia or Radius? He was at some huge distri- distribution company for for years, and he's a genius. And, um, you know, and him starting his own thing with Tim League and they have the Alamo Draft House, yeah. you know, connection there. And now we have, you know, we have MoviePass, who's also a part of our film, which is great. I mean, listen, you know, I, I'm a MoviePass subscriber, you know what I mean? Like to watch however many movies a month for as yeah. low as you can. I mean, why not? You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I take get advantage see, of what I get to see indies that I wouldn't see. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, when you have. 20 bucks a month to spend on movies you're going to go see the thing that is the most exciting exactly you know yeah that's so tough. that's one of the perks too of living in los angeles is in utah we had one theater that maybe would get all of the indies maybe broadway would get all of them. broadway or tower they would usually get the majority but there'd still be some that wouldn't like living in los Feliz, i get every <laughs> single <laughs> down one the <laughs> like yeah. i can walk to the, the th- i've got two theaters within walking distance and both of them, any any new indie that comes out, pretty much like we get it if it has the slightest distribution. Well, that's we great. get it, and I love yeah. it. <laughs> well, I gotta ask: Do you have um, a second feature in the works, writing, or have you written a few and sitting on the shelf for now? Or yeah, well, I wrote a feature comedy before I ever wrote this script, so uh, you know, still, still. Still plugging away at that one. Now, now maybe maybe if I'll have a name, maybe maybe that'll help me get that one made. Um, yeah. Um, and you just did a show for Netflix, is that right? I did, yeah. I directed, a, uh, I directed the first three episodes of season three of Top Boy, which is a, a UK series uh, now executive produced by Drake and, uh, and Spring Hill, which is LeBron's company. Um, they brought this show that was around a few years ago back, um, and now they're doing it with Netflix. So it's a 10-part series. It's it's essentially the wire without the police procedural um, okay. <laughs> set in like East London. Uh, it's an incredible show. I remember watching it five years ago and falling in love with it. The story I told you, like I was Facebook inboxing yeah. the actors like, Hey, Ronaldo green. Like, can I please, you know, get <laughs> yeah. to meet you for a cup of coffee. And, and now I'm directing. So, uh, yeah, it's a special show. I really, I really loved it. It was also a foray into, into television. Uh, I'd never done TV and, you know, listen, the world, it's what I watch tons of TV from Ozark to, you know, to, yeah. all, you know, there's just ton, well, tons of stuff. Is that a different experience than uh, stepping into something that's not necessarily your, your, your it baby, was, your project? It was because it wasn't my words, you know, yeah. so you have, and of course now you're dealing with a studio like Netflix yep. and you're dealing with, uh, you know, showrunners, uh, the production company. So just the, the, the sheer number of people and voices that you have to navigate is just, was just... Uh, expand and then also when you're shooting TV, we're cross boarding three episodes, so I could be shooting three, like from three episodes in the same day, 
Yeah. You know, so I'm shooting episode three in the <laughs> scene morning. Scene two from episode two. three and yeah, then scene so one. Yeah, so it's all over the place. Oh, it's man, all over the place and kind of keeping the emotional arc is it's just tougher damn, than in a that's film. that's rough. That's, you yeah. know, in our, in our film, because it was an indie, <laughs> you know, we like you do shoot out of order, but for the most part, we were sequential. For the most part, we shot in order. Yeah, a couple scenes here and there, but it was much easier to keep track. But, you know, in TV was kind of... A, a little bit of a beast that way. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've heard one of the weird things, too, with TV, though, is a lot of it, when you're not directing, like, the full series, you come in on some episodes, is it's such a well-oiled machine that you kind of come in and you're used to having to, like, kind of pair things together, and you've just got every department that's just kind of going in and doing their thing. Yeah, so yeah. I, th- I think it was Kevin Smith who had he'd gone on to direct an episode of The Goldbergs. I gotcha. And showed up and was just like, should I give my check back? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of doing your call thing. Well, well, it's funny you say that because that was what intrigued me about this was that in the UK, they're still auteur driven. So they feel like the director's voice is still important. Oh, at, least I, at least that's the way they made me yeah. feel like that, you know, it didn't make me feel like it was, ju- you know, because here you hear about producers and writers really running the show and then directors are really directors for hire. And and I'm not to say that like there aren't individual experiences and I don't know because I've never yeah. done a TV show here, but I've heard. And so when I heard about the UK thing, I was like, you know what? That's an opportunity because I still get to, you know, I get to cast the show. I get to do the location. Like I got to cast the series. So like, your voice gets to be my heard. voice will be heard. The look and feel of the show will be, you know, I'll have made a, an imprint on the show. And because it was the first three episodes, it felt like. You know, I felt like I was at least jumping. It was a jumping off thing. It was yeah. really like, it was just a great transition. I just came off of a, of an indie indie, you know. Yeah. Monsters <laughs> and Men was, was indie, you know. And, 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 you know, we tried to give it some scale and hopefully people can, can feel it and hopefully, hopefully it gets out there. But, yeah, I mean, we made it on a low budget, you know. So anytime you're making things like that, it was funny they were saying, yeah, our trailers, like we didn't have trailers. We didn't have, you know, the, the things that you have on movies. But then I go to this Netflix series and it's like, I had a trailer I didn't even get a chance to use. It was like, it was there. It was like, I, they, they told me I had a trailer, like, and you know, two months into shooting. I was like, really? That's nuts. Can I go the see it? You know, it was like, <laughs> I didn't have a trailer. That's the, cool. The set of Yellowstone. Yeah. It was funny. Like, they had a chair for me. Like, I didn't have a director's chair on my movie. And, you know, to, to have a chair, I was like, what? Like, I felt awkward sitting in it. Like, I don't want to sit in the director's like, Give it to somebody else. Yeah, no, I don't want to sit in the chair. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. felt a little yeah. weird. As soon as you sit down, you're just like, I... Can somebody get me a scarf? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but a couple times. I did take advantage. I did sit. It was nice. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't completely ignore the chair. It was, uh, it, it was worth it. So, so well, I appreciate you taking the time. I know, I know we're kind of ra- wrapping up here. Uh, you've got a Q&A you've got to do here. Yeah. So this, this is the first L.A. screening This tonight, is the first right? uh, true L.A. screening. Yeah, I think they had done some. Uh, we did an L.A. Times screening last week. Uh, which was just a you know private event. It was cool, and yeah. um, we did a. So is this a true audience, or is this like this is a true audience? Yeah. Gotcha. No, no. Or they might have given away some tickets. Yeah, you know, yeah. some people might. There might be some, some tickets. Sneaky eyes. Some in sneaky there. eyes in there. <laughs> but no, I think you could buy tickets. I had I had friends texting me like you know that they bought tickets. It's really cool, and yeah, it's weird. You know, it's weird charging your friends like <laughs> twenty bucks to go see a movie, but you know, um, I'm sure they're glad to pay it. You know, to yeah, support absolutely, a friend. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So. So uh, again, yeah. I appreciate you. The movie's getting great reviews from what I've seen since Sundance. So I'm I'm excited. I know Austin's incredibly Dude, excited I'm pumped. for it's it. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Film opens uh, <laughs> tomorrow, uh, September 28th. Go see it. Bring friends. Bring groups. Buy out a theater. Cool. Awesome. How, and how how many theaters is opening uh, this weekend? I should know the answer to that. 
and I do not. Uh, <laughs> I think it, I think we're in New York, L.A., Houston, Philly, Dallas, uh, but I you know probably two or two theaters in each city or something like that. So That's awesome, small small limited release, and then we'll see how we do, and then we'll we'll expand from there. Cool. Awesome. Where well, can uh, people find you as well on the the social yeah, media? Yeah, so social media. You know, it's a monsters and men uh, monsters and men film page on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Um, yeah, cool. Excellent. Awesome, man. So thank well, you guys. Thank you it's again. Awesome seeing you again, yeah, dude. you too, brother. Yeah, we'll see you.